Oh, it's another winter wonderland in Colorado tonight. Oof. Live and Undead, I am your host, Daniel Crozier, and I am joined by the phenomenal Matt Sprague. I'm doing well, as well as well as you can when you're, you know, it's freezing outside like this, but. I, I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How many inches of snow did you guys get? I'd say we've got at least six out there. Oh my gosh. Where, where we're way they? down south, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're over here at, uh, you know, uh, Southlands Mall kind of mm -hmm. area. Yeah, we, we've got about four out there. Yeah, we're out by Fiddler's Green. Oh, okay. Should I call it Confident Comfrey Dental Amphitheater? Yeah, uh, that sounds awful. Yeah, I just yeah. keep it fiddlers, right? Right. But yeah, things are going great down here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's uh, it, it's good to have you on and uh, you know, chat a little bit more. Uh, you know, your horror experience. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, uh, where you come from and and how you got into like horror zines, horror writing. And, and role-playing games. Oh, my gosh. So, um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a local zine author, um, RPG game designer, and software engineer. Um, side plug, I run the Rocky Mountain Linux user group for nice. um, all you like, free open source software fans out there. We have a meeting coming up tomorrow night. Um, so, I got into horror originally fairly late in life. Mm. Um, unlike some people who can talk about like being really into it, they were a teen or whatever. My, my teen years were all Tolkien-esque fantasy, nice. um, followed by like a bunch of Star Wars novels and interested and interested in that stuff. And then I change up what I read every few years, and horror's just been probably the most exciting area of publishing, in my opinion, lately. As far as small presses, indie creators, um, new voices, like it's it's almost gotten hard to keep track of how many, how many new really great authors we've got coming out. Nice. That, uh, that's cool. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what, uh, you know, kept you kind of coming back. Just, uh, just new voices, new, uh, and new creative, mm -hmm. uh, creativity. Yeah. And on the RPG front, um, I was here at Contributed to, um, Stranger Things, but RPGs and tabletop gaming are, way bigger now than I ever thought they'd be when I was, when I was, you know, playing like Warhammer 40,000 or Call of Cthulhu back in my teens. Nice. Um, I never really thought we'd see the market the way it is now. Um, yes. Combined with the, um, I don't know if you followed the recent kerfuffle with uh, Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, I, I heard about that. Isn't that, uh, you know, with, uh, um, you know, like, you know, certain ownership over, uh, you know, creatives, uh, 
you know, doing their own uh, Dungeons and Dragons rules or something like yeah, that? Yeah, so for, for people like me, what's really opened up a lot of opportunities for us is what we call community content licensing, where a game company will actually let you use their rules and even some of the intellectual property from their existing books to produce something new and original um, and actually sell it for money. So that if there's anything that's really blown up the mm. industry recently, it's been these open game licenses. That's why everybody kind of freaked out when Wizards of the Coast was all of a sudden talking about not making enough money off D&D &D and trying to right. change their license, change the rules, change the rules for making third party content. Because right now you don't actually really even need that much in the way of permission, as long as you meet their um, the publisher's guidelines, you know, which is for the most part, pretty obvious stuff, right? I mean, you're not going to, you know, no adult material, no, but they're, they're pretty broad. Like they're, so it's been a, it's, it's been a real renaissance for people like me. Okay. Nice. Nice. Um, hold on a second. I, uh, oh, I was smelling something burning. <laughs> One of my lamps uh, behind me was, was uh, toasting up uh, the, the late, my little latex backdrop. Ooh, that's not, like, that's not safe. No, but it's, you didn't have to go that far to try and drum up excitement for the episode, you know, a little fire. Yeah, I know. It's like, hey, is, it, is that a little fire? It's like, yes, we must sacrifice to the Dark Lord. <laughs> <laughs> that's always fun. Keep it, you know, uh, keep it exciting. Uh, you know, bring uh, graham crackers and, uh, and uh, marshmallows and chocolate, right? Mm -hmm. Use some s'mores. So, um Getting back to like the RPG industry, though, what really yeah. got me involved originally was making homebrew content. Before you could like, actually sell something that used, say, um, Chaosium or Wizards of the Coast intellectual property, you know, there were a lot of us out there doing zines, doing homemade fan rules, modification mods for things that um, were strictly unofficial. Um, but that was almost more fun to me than just playing. Yeah. Coming up, coming up with stories, coming up with um, new and interesting add-ons. Like uh, some of that stuff actually did come out in the um, in what evil works, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I guess. Right. Uh, right. The um, well, in, in uh, you know, with with what evil works, you know, that's that's your uh, you know horror fanzine, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those of you who don't know. Um, I help run a horror fan group called Mile High Horrors. Uh -huh. So originally a meetup group. Um, it's actually gotten surprisingly large over the pandemic since um, some of our really enterprising members set up a, a, what's turned out to be a surprisingly active Discord server. Oh, okay. Um, actually, I probably should have given you the link for that one. But anyway, so um, when the uh, after the group had gotten to a certain point, I was talking to my old my younger brother one day, and we were talking about how. You know, we both have writing projects and we both have stuff yeah. that doesn't necessarily get sold or isn't right. necessarily marketable. And we hit upon the idea of doing a fanzine, doing it old school, like 80s right. desktop publishing style, printed mm -hmm. up at Kinko's. Like, yep. It's just been a tremendously fun project. Um, I would like to say a quick point of clarification. I am currently not the editor. Okay. I'm currently Melanie Parker is the editor because I took last year off. Oh, okay. Uh, so she does a wonderful job. Just all all credit to her. I'm still involved right. a little bit, and I'll be getting more involved as we get back into the rest of this year. Nice. The, um, you know, doing the fanzines, like, you know, are, are you sitting there, you know, in, in terms of uh, content, 
are you uh, writing articles or is it short stories or is it just kind of an accumulation of, uh, of both? It's a, it's both. Um, I've written for the zine. Uh, I did the first, the first year I did a tabletop gaming column where we published a lot of, um, a lot of rules that we couldn't necessarily public, you know, for existing games, we couldn't necessarily publish um, due to intellectual property restrictions or whatever. So strictly homebrew, strictly fan content. um, If any of the lawyers are out there watching. Right, uh, and then I've also written things like linking fiction for the zine, where you have a little story that runs all the way through, you know, matching up to the theme. Nice. Um, really, like what we wanted was just a crazy, crazy zine content, right? Like we just wanted to something where we could go nuts with no restrictions, no concerns about marketability. Uh, okay. And then the as we've picked up more and more contributors from the group, we've also started running a lot more nonfiction articles. Oh, okay. Like um, for a- example. Our, our most popular column for years was actually my brother's column, um, where he wrote about hip horror influences and in hip hop music. Oh my god, that's awesome! <laughs> yeah, that's starting out with like grave, like the grave diggers, brother Lynch hung. Like, um, I had never actually even thought about just how just how much a band like say Cypress Hill yeah. really uses a lot of horror imagery in their work. Right. Yeah, that, that is something that you do see a, a little bit of a, you know, crossover with, um, you know, especially, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of rap groups that you would see from, uh, you know, California, L.A., uh, you know, yeah, Cypress Hills, you know, definitely one of them, but also like uh, gangster rap, you know, lots mm-hmm. of uh, skull imagery. You know, and then and then when you think about like, um, you know, films, especially back in the 90s with, uh, you know, like, um, um there's a couple of films with uh, Snoop Dogg, uh, you know, where you know, he was uh, in in uh, like an urban uh, horror, uh, um, you know. I think in Tales and, from the Hood. Was it Tales from the Hood? Was that the I one? Can't remember, I can't remember if Snoop Dogg was in that. That was um, that was Rusty. It was Rusty Kundi who who uh, actually pr- produced and directed it. I think. Okay. Okay. Uh, he's the guy who did uh, the the mockumentary Fear of a Black Hat. If you've ever seen that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no that uh, that was that was awesome. I, I I remember seeing that. I think uh, you know, shoot, uh, I think that was about fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. It's it's been a little while. It's been uh, quite a while actually, but yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, that it's interesting to yeah to to to, to think about that. Um, yeah. So it sounds like uh, your your brother's uh, involved quite a bit. So you've made this a, a bit of a family affair, huh? Yeah, I mean, um, Steve was a, a a big horror fan long before I was. Okay, I actually say that um, a lot of the authors and stuff the inter- I I found that really drew me into horror once he recommended. Oh, nice, nice. What it it what what uh, kind of horror was he? In, and this is mostly books, right? Uh, yeah. What was he directing you towards? Um, people like, for example, Brian Keane, who's pretty big. He wrote the uh, the Rising, which is a really excellent genre, almost like genre breaking zombie novel. They oh, came cool. out right around the time everybody started getting kind of bored with zombies and actually did something new. Uh, yeah. Mary San Giovanni, who's one of the leading voices in um, cosmic horror. Oh, uh, let's see. Victor Laval, who wrote um, Ballad of Black Tom. I'm a big fan of early 20th century cosmic horror. So one of the things that really got me excited is seeing just how many um, new voices, right? Women and people of color are actually actively 
writing cosmic horror almost as a response to Lovecraft. Nice. Okay. Yeah, and that's been really cool to see. Yeah. Is uh, and you said uh, you know uh, you know modern. Is that something that's you know, happened just recently or like in the last 20, 30 years or so? I'd say even like the last ten. Um, okay. To to me, like I, I'd have to go back and look to see when it was published, but there was a Tor Books bundle specifically mm -hmm. called "Talking Back to Lovecraft." It was all nice. uh, women and people of color, and it was yeah. everything in there was excellent. I mean, I I can't think of a single thing I read in there that actually probably wasn't better written than Lovecraft's own work. Yeah, you know, it was. It's neat to see that tradition kind of get honored without shying away from some of the more uncomfortable uncomfortable parts right. of its heritage. Right. Yeah. That's the, uh, you know, uh, you know, with, with something like, uh, um, the TV show, uh, Lovecraft, uh, country and mm -hmm. in the, in the, the, you know, the one book that was, uh, you know, produced too, um, that was a nice, you know, conversation piece. And that's something that, uh, that really, you know, brought a lot of the, you know, the tough, um, uh, topics, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to the surface for, for me, um, was just, yeah, the blatant racism, uh, you know, from from this one writer. Um, yeah, I mean, I I not interested in getting into a huge derail on Lovecraft's racism. I will say, um, there's a second Lovecraft Country book coming later this year. Seriously, I yeah. wow, I was not aware of that. No, Matt wrote Matt Ruff wrote another one. Wow, that's so. cool. Well, that that's awesome. That's something to look forward to, especially you know people that that found and became you know lovers of the TV show. Mm -hmm based off of just, you know, the one book and, and then it being canceled uh, relatively abruptly. Mm -hmm. And I, I would hope everyone who liked the show too, eventually gets um, kind of drawn into to writers like Victor Laval or Rathenia Emerus who are doing just really, really awesome stuff. Kind of, like I said, reimagining yeah. some of the Lovecraftian horror. Oh, um, and Lovecraft's a big one for me because he was probably the first horror writer I ever read. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, going all the way back to when I was a kid, um, the oh. tattered cover used to carry some surprisingly nice editions of his work, um, which it pains me to even say this now because those were so collectible. 12-year-old me did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, it was actually it's also through Lovecraft I first got interested in role playing games. Okay, no kidding. It, uh, at at that age, still, correct? yeah, yeah. To me, Lovecraft was almost more sci-fi than horror when I first read him. Sure, um, you know yeah. he has that reputation as being almost like the atheist horror writer mm -hmm. whose monsters are actually aliens or like you know people don't think about it, but Cthulhu is basically the first kaiju, this giant oh. alien monster that's just sleeping yep. underneath the ocean. But, and it was through um, the Call of Cthulhu role playing game that I first got interested in gaming. Really, period. Okay, that that's so cool. Yeah, you know, with that, with role playing game too. Um, I mean, obviously, you're you're able to, you know, create uh, your own adventures and, and stuff like that. But uh, you know, if if you don't mind me, you know, can we uh, segue to you know what you're doing uh, today with your own uh, yeah your own projects. Yeah, so I've got two things that should be coming out very shortly. I, tell you, I keep saying that, but they actually are about to be out. Um, I really am fascinated by Colorado's history um, and having, having more or less grown up here. Um, so my the first thing I've, I've got that I'm really excited that's going to be coming out is an adventure for Call of Cthulhu called The Goldfield Fishman, which is set up in the old gold fields of Colorado, uh, if you know where Victor, Colorado is. Yeah. Yeah, 
so I originally actually had the idea for it where I was up at the Black Monarch there. Sweet. Yeah. And there's just such a, a wonderful, rich history of mining and the Old West and like even even some really pioneering female figures in the mining industry um, out that way. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I guess I'm not familiar. Yeah. Um, if you get a chance, if you're ever up there again, take the walking, the little self-guided walking tour uh -huh. um, through the gold fields. You pass the trailhead on the way into Victor. Yeah. And it's, it's surprising, actually, just how many female overseers and stuff they had. Okay. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, really pioneering kind of stuff. And what fascinated me about it was I had no idea that town even existed. Right. Right. Let alone that it was once one of the biggest towns in Colorado. That I wasn't aware of. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's only in the last like 10 years that I, you know, learned of the Black Monarch. Mm -hmm. And and then yeah, and then the town around that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Victor at its peak during the gold rush had something like 20 town doctors and found a 1,000 person opera house. Wow. Yeah, uh, a lot of that stuff's just not there. It burned to the ground as these all wood old west towns tend to do. Yeah. Um, and so part of what I was trying to draw on for the Goldfield Fishman was the history of the labor conflicts in okay. Victor. Uh, I don't know if you're aware there were two major almost low-grade wars between the unions and the railroad owners back there. Uh, I, I was, wasn't aware of, of uh, uh, Victor, but I was aware of, you know, uh, similarly to the history of like Trinidad. Mm -hmm. Now Trinidad's another town I'm actually really fascinated by that I don't know that I actually don't know that much about. But... Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, uh, my girlfriend and I uh, have have made uh, you know quite a few trips down there. I've painted a bunch of murals and stuff, and you know with that, I've, I've learned a little bit of the history. You know, um, you know down there where uh, yeah, unions and and uh, you know uh, the owners of the the mines had an all out uh, you know gunfight. You know where you know the 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 miners the the unions you know just basically got obliterated. Yeah, I wish I could say they'd fared better in Victor, but. Yeah, probably yeah. the same similar scenario, I'd imagine. Similar outcome. Um, but that creates a really rich set of history to draw on, right? right. So, like, um, trying to figure out what I can say without spoilers for the adventure if people want to pick sure. it up eventually here. But there's um, a place where you can really play with the idea of a monster in Victor and whether this monster is real. Or is this some kind of intimidation tactic by the mining bosses? You know, are they making this up or maybe yeah. the union making it up? But it creates some real ambiguity. I've also like, um, I did not do this. I was really tempted to try and tie in the 1899 fire that leveled the town. Oh dear. Yeah. Um, Cause that, that's, that was a big event in Victor's history, but I, I try to shy away from um, in anything I write. I try to shy away from uh, attributing supernatural sources to real tragedies because I feel okay. like kind of devalues them. Right. But yeah. So, so with, with, with that, you know, yeah. How do you, uh, you know, bring in supernatural elements? Are those just something separate, like kind of an outsider element? Yeah. I mean, uh, again, going back to Lovecraft, like I don't necessarily always think of things as supernatural. You have a tendency to throw that word around. Right. Uh, in this case, the mystery, uh, the super big supernatural element is going to be whether or not this monster hidden in the depths of the mine really exists. Okay. 
Ooh, right. Yeah. Was it stashed there by cultists who worshipped it like 50 years earlier? Was it, again, is it something that they're just making up to intimidate the unions? Like, but what's really right. going on? Right. Um, wow. And it's going it's to feature some historical personalities. Um, Jack Dempsey actually, actually worked in Victor okay. around that time before he was a boxer. Nice. Nice. Um, that's wow. That's that's pretty cool. Th this sounds really interesting. It also sounds like a you know a great uh, premise for a film too. I I I, I never like to say that, but yeah, <laughs> I would love yeah. to eventually. Eventually, that's something we would all love to see our work turn into. Right. Um, yeah. If not at the very least, like some kind of a, a company novel or something to, mm -hmm. to draw inspiration, uh, you know, from while well, you're 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 creating your own you know role playing uh, experience. Mm -hmm. Actually, um, I have been working on some sort of tie-in short stories that go back a ways. What? That sounds uh, well, awesome. Well, you you need a certain amount of um, what we call game fluff. It's like you know fiction that basically sets the mood when you first pick up the book. Ooh, throughout. Nice. So, in the process of doing that, I've been thinking about expanding something into a novella. Um, so we'll see where that we'll see where that goes in the next few weeks, but. Yeah, that's that sounds awesome. And you know, so with the role playing game, you know, you mentioned that uh, it's coming out soon, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but but it's it, it's a little bit pushback. Do you have a date? We should have everything up. What is today? The 16th, 15th? Yeah, 15th. I would say by the 27th. No kidding. That's awesome. So so one day before the end of the month. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's got it's got to be done and up by then because that's my girlfriend's birthday too. So, oh, excellent, excellent. So I can I cannot be still tweaking the PDF on the on the twenty seventh. Yeah, um, and, and where can uh, you know folks go to to find that? Yeah, all this stuff. The best place to look is in Mis the drive through RPGs Miskatonic repository section. Okay, which is where you publish anything that is not directly licensed by chaosium but is for the call of cthulhu role-playing game nice that's that's so cool we've got uh, some uh, some folks uh, posting comments on here so uh loving all the colorado history that is being incorporated <laughs> um man okay so so that's uh, that's a central online location for for all yeah that's it's probably the biggest online vendor of rpgs period um, okay. They do ebook and then they do print on demand. <clears throat> nice. If sales are good enough, they actually will print stuff in advance. But oh, cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, so for everybody that's uh, you know tuning in, uh, you know, make sure after this broadcast, uh, you know, hopefully go and do pre-sales. Mm -hmm. Are they available for pre-sales right now? Not, not yet. Okay. Shoot. All right. Yeah. But no. I, um, on the twenty seventh. I had really hoped to get it done before this interview because that would be optimal marketing. But right, right. <laughs> um, can I talk a little bit about the other the other adventure I've got coming out? Yeah, definitely. So the other one I've got coming up um, is tentatively called "The Last Train from Tunguska." Okay, it's set in um, post-revolution Russia, so like the the early 1920s, 1930s in the Soviet Union, and the players play um, a group of soldiers who are tasked with traveling out to Siberia and bringing back a mysterious political prisoner who may or may not have supernatural powers. Uh -oh. And uh, what, what really got my interest about that scenario, what got me really on it was, um, <clears throat> I don't know if you've been down to Game Train. Uh, I haven't, no. 
so it's a, it's a <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> it's a game store slash restaurant that's down um, off County Line, in Highlands Ranch almost, and they have rooms set up that look like train car rooms, and even have a little screen on the wall with a uh, train going by. That's and so it got cool. me to thinking, like, you're always looking for stuff to do that's new and different, right? Um, right. And I had never done a scenario that would, took place entirely in one room. It's basically like a locked room mystery where all the players are in one train car for wow. five days. Oh, my gosh. The, the goal was just to survive to the end, as, as usual, for Call mm-hmm. of Cthulhu. Um, for your listeners who aren't familiar, um, one of the big... Call of Cthulhu is probably, I would say, in the top three biggest RPGs after Dungeons & Dragons, Pathfinder. Um, right. And what sets the part is there's no combat. Oh, okay. Combat, the, the monsters you encounter are so dangerous that you're just not going to live through trying to shoot it out with them or swing a sword at them. Yeah. Um, it's the first, the only RPG I can think of where your ability to read Latin is actually more important than your ability to, to shoot a gun or, or use a oh, knife. Nice. Okay. So it's very investigation focused. Yeah. Yeah. So like in last train from Tunguska, the players are going to be kind of trying to figure out what's going on and whether or not this prisoner has any sinister or undue influence on some of the other people on the train. Nice. Okay. Yeah. That, um, and that will also be on drive through RPG at the same time. Wow. So it sounds like you got a uh, yeah, busy couple of weeks trying to get that stuff done. Yeah, it's it's a backlog of stuff. I also I have a couple other things I don't want to say I'm going to put out short term okay. that probably will come out. Um, so I've had this huge backlog of projects that I've jumped around and been trying to finish up, actually putting on the just dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's recently. Nice, man. That's that that sounds uh, awesome. Yeah, and on, on top of that, you're also working with uh, you know Denver Horror Collective, mm-hmm. you know participating in in uh, some anthologies, correct? Um, we're going to be in the upcoming anthology. I was not in the the ones that came out already. Right, right. But yeah, so I guess we've talked about that a little bit. Um, the Denver Horror Collective is planning. Uh, I can't tell you the topic yet, but we are planning an anthology for later this year. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so this will be our fourth one. Um, Hopefully it gets some real traction. Jewish Book of Horror, I wish I had submitted to um, mm-hmm. because it did so incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, for at least for one of our books. It got publishers weekly reviews and yeah. libraries picked it up. Um, I actually That's- recently found out that our the second anthology we put together, Consumed, um, yes. Tales of the Wendigo, is actually in the library system in Denton, Colorado, in Denver right now. That's is- awesome. Yeah, for those of you guys who don't do any indie publishing, getting into a library is not as easy as you might think. No, it's because you got to go through like board reviews, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's really helped if you can get a review from somebody like Publishers Weekly that librarians actually consult and trust. But yeah, there's a whole review process. Somebody you got to send the book in. Somebody's got to read it. They've got to actually vote on it as a committee. Like it's a whole thing. Wow, that's that's so cool. Yeah. yeah, Denver Horror Collective yeah, have have been putting out just yeah, amazingly high quality, you know, books and, and, and anthologies and stuff. Uh, incredibly well received. Yeah, it's been great. The whole Denver Horror Collective actually has been a really great experience. Um, yeah. 
it's brought together people who aren't necessarily in like the Colorado Horror Writers Association stuff. Um, we even have managed to pull in a few people who aren't writers, which is actually one of our long-term, that's one of our long-term goals is we like to get the message out that we're interested in game design. We're interested in art. We're interested in music, you know, pretty nice. much if it's, if it's got horror involved, then we're wow. interested in, we're interested in promoting it. Wow. That's really cool. Well, you know, if, if there's anything that you guys come across, you know, make, make sure you uh, hit me up or hit up uh, Colorado Festival of Horror so we can also put the word yeah. out too. That's that sounds fantastic. Um, you know, it, with that, you since you you've got uh, you know such a, a good handle on doing zines, role playing games, and you know short stories and, and uh, novels, um, you know, how does your your creative uh, process for writing you know, kind of change when, when you put on a different hat like that. I mean, um, I don't know if I would necessarily say it does. It's all storytelling. You know, it's right. all, it's all, it's all creating a world and imagining characters who need to interact within it. Um, the single biggest difference between writing for games and writing, say a short story or novel or micro fiction or something is the sheer amount of almost nonfiction kind of content. Okay. Plus the tone changes, right? The tone's always going to be third person, very matter of fact, except in the sections that are what we call fluff again, like the, you know, the little like introductory um, segment. Like you, you might write something about space marines fighting aliens in the far future for a game that to introduce a game that's about space marines, right? You know? um, so there's there's a lot there's a lot of crossover, and you'd find actually um, I've been surprised as I've gotten more involved with the Horror Writers Association, how many people I never I never knew had actually made some money at one point by writing games. Oh, cool! Yeah, it's actually there's a, there's there's more crossover than I would have thought. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah, um, I know. Like in in uh, you know comics, there there certainly is that. Not necessarily the money aspect, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, but there's a lot of people uh, that I know that write you know the novels or the novellas, and then yeah, and sometimes the short stories, and then also write their own comic book series. Well, I think we would all love to do a comic book. I mean, that's that's a goal almost every writer I know has. We're just oh, hampered cool. by the fact that we can't draw. I like to save our lives, but oh well, you you know a lot of uh, illustrators now. Just you know, just hit me up, and I can always you know uh, direct you to some. I may actually take you up on that because I've got one. I've got one that I've been kicking around for a while that I would love to actually at least get like an eight page, like at least like an eight page weekly out of. Oh, cool! Yeah, that that'd be pretty pretty fun. Um, yeah, uh, now. Yeah, kind of uh, going back to like the the fanzine, mm -hmm. uh, to, um, you know, where evil lurks. Um, you've uh, work working with your brother and uh, you know your your editor. Um, it's it's pretty interesting to to see that you know so many people out there don't really know what what zines are, but it's something that you know it's has had a huge long history at least in Denver, and I imagine, you know, in a number of uh, big cities, but yeah, yeah, your zine, yeah, people can find it, of course, in uh, Mutiny Cafe. What other locations can they find? Oh, uh, in Chang, both the in Chang grounds, Highland Ranch, Highlands Ranch in Littleton, nice. High Hole, um, the excellent new retail store of the Archive uh, oh, out cool. in Aurora, if you've been out there. 
Um, um, you know, I haven't. And I'm in Aurora. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that um, Vinegar Syndrome and Teresa Mercado, I think, put, opened yes. up. Oh, cool. Say. Okay. Yeah, they, they sell a lot of movies, but also a range of horrors of other horror stuff. They have some games. Um, in that case, I, I lied. So, yeah, uh, I, I didn't realize that it was called The Archive. That This is how out of touch I am with, like, the world around me. God damn it. I need to get out of my, my <laughs> hobbit hole here. Um, but, yeah, uh, uh, Teresa, uh, you know, uh, showed me around when they were just building uh, uh, that storefront. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool spot. Um, yeah, and you can't really talk about any kind of horror stuff in Denver without at least without Teresa right. at least coming up. Right. No, she. Uh, she. Yeah, I, I love Teresa. She's an amazing uh, curator of uh, you know films mm -hmm. and content and you know stuff that you know I, I wouldn't uh, necessarily like think about or, or you know uh, search. No, so she's brought some real hidden gems to the screen through Scream yeah. Screen. Yeah, most definitely. Her and and Keith too over Keith, at the yeah. center. Yeah, those those two you know work really well in tandem. Yeah, I'm trying to think where else you could pick up. Um, I think we have some zines the tethered cover. Um, they can be a little hard to find there because the zine section is backed by the elevators at the down at the Colfax location. Okay, well it's it's good to know that they're there because that's that's one place I wouldn't even thought to to have checked that's yeah great. look generally we're on a rack somewhere near like westward and the other free publications okay cool and then and then uh you know you are also uh working with the uh, denver zine library with uh kelly short and queer over there mm -hmm. yeah we'll be getting um what evil lurks into the zine library the full archive as soon as we locate copies of a few issues that we we thought we had spares of that we haven't found yet um, and I personally am going to be start, starting to volunteer over there. That's cool. Yeah, That's it, cool. it's a really for those of you guys who have never been there, the Zine collection at the Denver Library is really cool. Uh, it, it's just neat that they even they even do something like that, you know? Because the um, if we can back up a little bit, it occurred to me like you said a lot of people today don't even know where zines came from. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So for the younger people out there. There is a period of time between when personal computers got common and desktop publishing software came out, but before the internet, before it was really easy to make a website or something. And so zines were what kind of filled that content gap there. Right. Right. right? So for the first time you could produce something that looked more professional on your personal computer, print it out, you know, take it to Kinko's or whatever, but you didn't have that easy out for websites and stuff yet. Right. Right. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. And, and then, you know, back then, like, you know, getting it in people's hands, you know, pretty much what you're doing today, you know, putting it in stores, right. Different yeah. storefronts and, and, uh, you know, kind of trading with friends as well. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Um, I, I, I only give a shout out to mutiny information cafe for being one of the few spots in Denver that actually stocks, not just like one or two free zines, but an actual range of zines. Yeah. Um, those guys have been great. Like, I, I don't think we'd have hit our third volume here. Um, just a quick plug on that one. Great. That's cool. Death by Doll. Nice. Yeah, every issue has a theme. So this issue is um, horror involving dolls. Oh, my God. Dolls are so damn freaking creepy. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I there's there's not a, <clears throat> not a lot of horror that actually disturbs me, but doll stuff is definitely one of those things. Yeah, that's cool. The uh, you, you know, how many uh, issues have you uh, put up so far? You, you keep you you've talked about like you, you're up to like volume. So I think at the moment, this is volume three, the second issue. So that would be 14, I want to say so far. Okay. Uh, you do one every two months. Every two months. Okay. Yeah. And there's that, that, that number is approximate because we did do like the first year we did a special Halloween issue. Nice. Um, that was actually full magazine sized. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. That was a fun, that was a really fun one to do. Um, trying to think if I actually wrote for that one. I think that might be the one where my brother and I wrote the um, wrote a little like funny piece about the talking about the like a ch- like an invasion of Chud, like it's a weather report. <laughs> yeah, you know, where pe- people are just going on about their daily business, right? You, yeah, you know, you just got to be careful because we're looking at Chud all the way through to the weekend. Yeah, oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Oh God, yeah, we, we we try to keep it a little like lighthearted too, because Steve and yeah. I are both big fans of really aggressively. Um, disturbing splatterpunk fiction oh, okay. um, like a, a good example of a, a story that got adapted to movies that people might have heard about is uh, midnight meat train by clive barker yep, yep. yeah that that would have that would have that would be about the kind of genre we're talking about okay so when we can like we like to lighten it up a little bit because we know not everybody not everybody expects their characters to die horribly by the end right 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 <laughs> she's yeah, I uh, God, I, I remember that was the I think the last uh, Clive Barker movie, and that was with Bradley Cooper before you know, mm-hmm. he hit it big with uh, the Hangover. Um, so I was pretty surprised to you know, to see that film and really enjoy it. I was really surprised they even made it. Um, True, it had, the book has some more disturbing content, and the main character is not the most likable guy. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah, they they played in the film. They play him off as a little bit as sleazy, but I could see Clive, you know, writing something much dirtier with that mm-hmm. character. Yeah, and I, I've I've never re- uh, wrote the short or uh, read the the short story. It's it's tight. I mean, everything Clive Barker wrote in that era is so it, it's stuff that's so good it makes you just want to give up ever trying to do your own. <laughs> But uh, pl- yeah, Matt, please don't keep keep well, writing, okay? Obviously, we're not going to. But there's stuff there's stuff you come across like that periodically where you're just you're so blown away by the person's talent that you're like you you take a step back and reevaluate what you're doing. <laughs> well, hopefully, you can just yeah, you know, like yeah, you know, oh yeah, he did this. I can apply these tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's writing. Writing is always a conversation, right? Like that that stretches across time. Yeah. Yeah. We can't yeah. produce anything today without the influence, conscious or unconscious, of everyone who came before. Right. Right. Most definitely. You, you mentioned uh, too before we went uh, live that you were uh, starting a, a new day job tomorrow, um, but you were you know, interested in like seeing um, you know, how having such limited time will, will make, force you to, to really refocus. On uh, how you uh, apply you know, apply yourself to your art. Yeah, I mean, I just for myself personally, I found that having nearly unlimited time to do stuff does not make me the most productive. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had 
I look at I was I was actually looking back at what I wrote each year over the last like four or five years, and mm-hmm. my best period actually was when I was the busiest. Okay, in my day job. Right. Yeah, I think maybe just because you got to make the most of the time you do have. Right. Right. You know, I mean, maybe there's something about the frustrations that come from working a nine to five job too that that just feeds into horror. I mean, that just to me that that's always been like. One of the bit, one of the single most overlooked bits of horror is just the horror of having to get up and go somewhere every day at like six in the morning, and spend eight to ten hours there and then come home. Uh, right. You know, just day after day, week after week, no, no end in sight. Yeah, it, it almost seems like you know, kind of aimless and stuff, and yeah, yeah, just the just that uh, you know drudgery, you know. Um, yeah, it kind of fuels that fire. It's like, I got to change the situation or at least, you know, uh, focus your energies into into some type of expression. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you find like, um, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I find the happier and more contented in my life, the mm-hmm. lower my output. True. No, I, uh, I, I do find that for me specifically, like of all things, animosity <laughs> really... Mm-hmm fuels uh you know the the need to to get a project done whether it's uh you know i'm frustrated with myself or whatever situation i find myself in mm-hmm. and uh suddenly uh, i'm i'm uh, pleasantly surprised because a project just got done in in my little stupid fit of rage <laughs> yeah no it definitely definitely makes a difference so i did want to ask you one question though since i've got you on here and you've got your you've got your finger on the pulse of the horror community i don't know like to see it hey colorado's horror scene is burgeoning but it hasn't always been that big so if we're not the uh if we're not the experts then who is true mm-hmm. yeah i i would say that we have an amazing horror scene we definitely have a fantastic haunt scene mm-hmm. uh, i think we've got the like the best haunts in the country yeah hands down and and definitely probably the most um it, you know when when halloween season comes around you, you can't you can't uh you know uh throw a, a rock without hitting one mm-hmm. it seems like it's it's fantastic to see that talent um, but I, I think there's, you know, it, you know, there's a, a big creative community that also branches off of there because all those people that work in, in that, they all want to make films and they all, you know, want to do, uh, you know, all kinds of other stuff and, you know, perform in other uh, platforms. Well, and uh, that's one thing that's been so great about Kofo is, like you said, there's a, there's a wonderful community here. It's just not always been the easiest to get everybody together. Correct. Correct. I, I think uh, we've we've got different uh, offshoots. It, it seems kind of sporadic and, and sparse. But, you know, when we had like uh, uh, like Telluride Horror Show mm-hmm. when, when that's in full swing and then uh, more central to Denver, Mile High Horror Film Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, holy crap. The you know, the audience and, and the, the talent that pulls around those events is it's just so infectious and uh and endearing too. And this is my first year going to tell you right actually this past October. And I I didn't realize just how big an event it actually was. Yeah. What what's the the turnout for that, do you think? I I don't know if I could have to guess the turnout. It's enough that they can pack all three venues that they use. Cool. 
I mean, cool. the the high school, I can't remember how many seats are in there, but they can they can fill that, the opera house and the, the little nugget theater on Main Street. Nice. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And they even more amazing is they get real as as Hollywood as horror gets, they get real big name films in. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm used to horror film festivals being more short films or like um really out there indie stuff. So it was neat to see one that actually had um backing from shutter. Mm-hmm. It had um it had movies that you actually were gonna be able to go watch in a theater at some point. Yeah. Well I, I think that's yeah that's the nice thing about the um you know the the culture out here in, in Colorado is um it's uh yeah we we might seem a little bit uh you know kind of sporadic or, or scattered but yeah, in, in the recent years, even, you know, dis, despite like uh, the pandemic and everything, uh, we've been able to coalesce and, and you know, kind of congregate and come together. Um, I think uh, like Denver uh, Horror Collective does a really good, uh, you know, job of doing that, reaching out to people. And it sounds like you have uh, you guys have designs on really uh, expanding into you know, other avenues of creativity. Yeah, um, I, I might give that plug again. The Horror Collective has been a really excellent group. Um, yeah. Our dues are incredibly low at $20 a year. And if there's one thing we would really like more than anything else, would be to draw in more people who aren't writers. Yeah. Uh, so cool. I can only think of one, one person in the group really right now who's a really outstanding visual artist. Okay, uh, cool. Is it, uh, can, is that, uh, like Zach Hennessy? Yeah, it's Zach. Yeah. 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 I love Zach. He's awesome. His stuff is, his stuff is just really great. Um, and he actually, I don't know if it's coming out. He's been doing some RPG stuff recently too, I think. Yeah. I thought he was doing some stuff with, uh, Brandon Hobbit, another, uh, fantastic, uh, yeah. horror sculptor. Yeah. I, he had, I don't, I don't know where the, the status is. He had picked up a contract from a company in the Springs. Oh, cool. I was looking for some stuff and that he and Brandon did um, a standalone RPG kind of art book um, that was for sale at Kofo last year. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I think uh, I've, I've talked to Brandon and, and Zach uh, about that. And I know they've done uh, like a, you know, a panel presentation mm-hmm. you know, on, on what they were working on. So uh, something else I wanted to ask you while we're sitting here is yeah. why is there no gaming track at Kofo? Uh, I think that's something that we're, we're going to have to look into. Yeah, that's something that um, we should talk about another time like off air or something. But I would love to get to, um, bring some people in and run some games as part of Kofo. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think yeah, that would be really exciting. I know Wizards Chess came in and they were doing some kind of uh, gaming component for like a couple hours, I think, okay. in the... Uh, main atrium at the old location you know and this year we're going to be at the uh, denver marriott uh in park meadows you know lone tree oh nice that's super convenient for me so that's true that's going to be on your end of town yeah that's going to be exciting uh, yeah and yeah much bigger space you know much more uh um, accessible way way more parking <laughs> <laughs> and more more central to like public transportation too mm-hmm. uh, our, our lo- old location was, you know, exquisite, but, you know, it, it was still met with some limitations. And, and um, so, uh, you know, now we're just able to expand and, and hopefully bring more of our, uh, you know, Colorado and and uh, those just outside the state too. you know, bring them in mm-hmm. and, 
because um, you know there's there's a, a good uh, or, or a fun uh, horror community in in Wyoming and even I mean Utah is huge for this stuff too. Really? Yeah. There's there's uh you know much bigger uh, events going on in in of all places Salt Lake. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine it's kind of a response to you know some uh you know some of the more conservative factions I guess so, mm-hmm. over there, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they like to get their freak on too. I can see that. I, I think Salt Lake too, especially has been picking up a lot of people who aren't the traditional demographic for right. Utah. Right, right. Most definitely. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's been pretty fun to just kind of see how like these type of communities you know, are growing and, and how creativity, you know, really you, you, unites, uh, you know, you know, whole groups of people, you know, unites us all. It's kind of this common thread. I, I actually been wanting to ask you, what made you decide to do COFO? Um, I, I like how this uh, interview is kind of turned, <laughs> turned into asking me <laughs> questions, but uh, I'm happy to oblige. Um, well, uh, we, we realized that there was kind of a niche for it or, you know, an, an opening for it. And it really, uh, needed to, to happen in some capacity. We've, we've had friends, and I think uh, um, you might uh, be friends with them too, um, you know, put together like a, the Colorado Horror Convention. And they did that, I think it was around 2015 or so, and hmm. it just didn't take. And, and you know, they tried their, their, their darndest uh, to do it. But, um, um, you know, we realized having, especially me, having done uh, Dink and bringing a, a number of uh, friends together, volunteered in other uh, large conventions, um, we needed more runway time to organize and, and do it right and really try and do something small and intimate so that mm-hmm. people have, have room to breathe and really kind of um, uh, take in uh, what artists and vendors are, are doing. And, and not just you know, the guests too, you know, they, they're certainly, uh, very important and, uh, enhance, you know, everything, but, um, I really love the artists and the vendors, you know, that's, that's always something I've really appreciated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think anybody who loves fan, who loves conventions, the uh-huh. vendor room is a huge draw. So yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, and, and I'm also a sucker for, for programming and, and, you know, having, mm-hmm. Uh, really setting up panels as as more as like group conversations, you know, mm-hmm. just having everybody just kind of come to the table and it's like, hey, here's here's you know subject or topic, you know, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? Um, so yeah, I can't wait, you know, to to talk to you more about what we have planned for this upcoming year, um, and hopefully, you know, you know, Matt, we can talk to you a little bit more about you know the, the gaming aspect because mm-hmm. you know that's, that's something that's completely lost to me. I'm usually not the gaming person, right? I, I don't yeah. really, so I'm always interested to hear about role-playing games and, and how that actually works. And, you know, even like video games and stuff mm-hmm. and virtual reality and all that jazz. Hey, don't even get me started on VR. That's a whole other interview. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah I, <clears throat> I have recently become a huge fan of the, cool. the VR space. Right. I mean, it's finally after years of us growing up and hearing that VR was coming around, finally it's here. Right, right. And there have been some surprisingly good horror VR games, actually. 
Yeah, I, I had a, a buddy that uh, had her um, at the first uh, Kofo had a virtual reality setup, and he had, he brought in some uh, some horror video games too, and they were great. I tried them out at his house, and he told me never to do it again. <laughs> I, I, it, it, it takes practice. We forget how hard it was for us to learn how to play Nintendo or something originally. Yeah, yeah. I, I I guess I don't have the motor skills to like stay in my lane. That's the hardest part, right? Is of as getting used to the amount of space you actually have to move around yes. in, so you don't yes. crash into your TV or your your lamp or your. Yep. Very. But much. Um, as far as running games, that kind of, you know lets us swing back towards something else that um, I've done historically. It's been a little bit of a hiatus since the pandemic, which is um, my friend Han, who I see is listening here, who recently had to move out of Colorado. He and I ran the longest running horror game night in Colorado. Oh, no kidding. Cool. Yeah, one, once a month at Enchanted Grounds for, I think, nice. Han, you can comment here and say if you think I'm wrong. It was like almost seven years until the uh, pandemic killed it. Oh, man. So we're, we're looking for, I've been looking for some opportunities to get new, uh, new gaming sessions going. It's the, um, we have a wonderful little group here in Denver that uh, I help organize, the Denver Lovecraftian Gaming Society, mm -hmm. which just does Lovecraftian games. Obviously, it's a lot of Call of Cthulhu, yeah. but um, we've played Arkham Horror version 3, um, Cthulhu Pandemic, uh, Miskatonic, was it Miskatonic Restricted Collection. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a ton. I mean, it's, it's partially helped by the fact that um, now all the lawsuits are done pretty much everything Lovecraft did is in the public domain. Nice. Finally. Yeah. Uh, Han just uh, commented. Uh, I can't remember. It was a long time ago. <laughs> Two years ago. is not a long time ago, Han, but. <laughs> um, we, yeah. Have you approached, uh, have you reapproached like uh, enchanted grounds about, you know, yeah, up in? we can bring it back, but we've been, holding the reason i've been holding off is i'm looking for to get back what i have when han lived here which is like a core group of people who will always show up right, right? you know some weeks you've got two you've got two tables of two or you got two or three tables of games running some weeks you're lucky if it's you and your friend yeah right right yeah uh another you know place that would probably be open for it too that you could probably you know more central denver right would be you know mutiny they're always doing events that's a good thought, actually, because we lost the Denver Game Lounge this past year. Oh, okay. Um, that was over off Colfax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was that? Uh, let's hear. Was not was, was that during the summer? That was it was a while back. So okay, being like beginning of last year. Oh, say. even further back. Okay. Yeah, they just they, I think the pandemic was the last nail in the coffin. Like yeah. Yeah. But that 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 just pretty much left Wizard's Chest is the only game, central Denver game store I know. Right, right. Uh, oh, that'd be interesting. Have you ever thought about approaching them, have, having like an event in their store? Yeah, the last time we looked at them, their hours were more limited than we wanted. Oh, okay. Because uh, one thing that kept us going to a chain grounds is they're open to like ten or midnight in the weekends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think Mutiny is 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 open pretty late, uh, especially on the weekends. No, we'd actually love to do more with Mutiny. Um, you know, whether it's readings to the Denver Horror Collective or if Jim, if you're listening, we're just putting this out there. Um, yeah. So we would love to get a quarterly reading series going again. 
Um, especially cool. since we've lost book bar too. Yeah. And, uh, Han said, uh, uh and coffee. Ah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, and coffee. Like it's, yeah, you gotta have snacks. Yeah. That's, that's a must. Damn it. That's a must. Yeah. Matt, it, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but, uh, yeah. Can you, uh, you know, remind us again where we can go, uh, yeah. find, uh, your zine and then find the RPG game when it comes out on the, the 27th. Yes. So you can find our zine again. This is the current issue. The next Sweet. one's coming out fairly soon. Um, fingers crossed. You can find us at mutiny. You can find us at West end books, the archive, both in Channing grounds, um, pie hole, Occasionally at True. Um, pretty much anywhere like you can drop free horror zines. Cool. Uh, the game will be out. Games will be out on Drive Through RPG at the end of the month. Um, if you guys aren't familiar, it is, like I said, the biggest, pretty much biggest online retailer of RPG products. Nice. Yeah. And then if I can give one other quick plug. Yes. Um, Shout out to everybody at Danger Toad Games. This was a release oh, cool. from this last year. It's um, not all horror. It's a game of strategic court of strategic courtship. Um, you're basically trying to build sets of cards to woo your love interest. But wow. the mechanics are superb, and I would be remiss if I didn't speak up because Patrick will never advertise it himself. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome! Wow, that's so cool. Uh, yeah, Matt. Yeah, I want to say, yeah, thank you for coming on on the show and, you know, educating me more about mm -hmm. uh, RPG games and uh, and zines. Um, I, th I think that's that's definitely a, you know, a topic that uh, I've had a hard time, you know, uh, you know, learning about and approaching. Yeah, anytime you have any questions, feel free to hit me up. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, let's uh, let's chat a little bit more, uh, you know, when you. Uh, 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 when we end the broadcast and stuff, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks again for being so generous with your time. Thank you for having me on here. I love doing this kind of stuff. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah, and, uh, and and yeah, stick around for a few minutes, and then to, to everybody that tuned in, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in and, and learning more about all the cool stuff that uh, you know Matt's involved with, uh, and of course uh, to our sponsors, to Mutiny Information Cafe, who we've been talking to a lot tonight about tonight. Uh, yeah, if you're going to start a revolution, make sure you're caffeinated. And of course, our friends at uh, Hellfire Entertainment, thanks for rebroadcasting us on your social media. To Groovy TV, and of course, to Alien Donut Films, to Bill and Angela over there, and to my producers, uh, Lily Fisher, Amanda Armstrong, and Stefan Santagruz. And uh, to everybody that tuned in, thanks so much. Yeah, take care of each other during these uh, cold Colorado mm -hmm. nights. And, uh, you know, drive carefully, goddammit. So to everybody out there, stay creepy, and we'll talk to you soon. Make sure to check out our Facebook and website for the updates on Colorado Festival of Horror, September 15th through the 17th.